0: Have you ever wondered what you would get if HGTV and Investigation Discovery had a baby? Well, the long and short of it is, you would get us. Hi, I'm Christina. And I'm Kristen. And each week on The Real Crime Podcast, we bring you a taste of the sinister side of real estate. Tune in each Wednesday for a new episode wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to subscribe or follow so you don't miss a grisly tale of how dark homeownership can get.
1: The song used in the following promo is called Audio Realm by Pariah. Hey, this is Courtney from a true crime and paranormal podcast called The Nefarious Nightmare. I'm here to tell you about KYLRclothing.com. KYLR is another ally for victims and against the heinous acts caused by sex offenders, rapists, and pedophiles. Their mission states that the realization of how common sexual assault is, and in most cases, the perpetrator gets a slap on the hand, leaving the victim scarred for life and without justice. That is the drive in which this company was created. Their goal is not only to raise awareness on the discontent, disgusting commonality of sexual assault but also to let the victims know that they are not alone and that we are in their corner. They say they look forward to working with and donating a portion of their yearly profits to local battered women's shelters and other charities. Go check out kylrclothing.com that is kylrclothing.com and let's work together to make rapists afraid again. Content warning this episode contains strong language and discussions of violence. Trigger warning This episode explores situations of cannibalism, murder, rape, and necrophilia. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey Amanda, I gotta say, I love the audience we have for our podcast. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there watching all their Instagram stories, and one minute it's like a cute baby goat, like a cute little baby goat. Uh, the next one is like a picture of a cryptid eating someone's absolute face off, and the next is a missing persons poster. And we have this one follower who I absolutely adore. Her name is Allie. And this is Jason Vukovich's girlfriend. Um, Ooh. So she likes to do things with like knitting and yarn. So one second, she'll post something about her awesome knitting. The next thing is she posts these little clips of her adorable little toddler. Like the cutest little thing. I just want to just have another baby already. And then the next, it's all death metal. fuck yeah. You know, and I love it. I just think... <laughs> I just think it's fucking special. So It is. Yes, it is. I asked for um, intro topic ideas on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, you know, the response was actually pretty overwhelming. Um, we normally come up with our own intro topics. Like, we, we talk about fucking everything. But I just kind of wanted to incorporate our listeners, you know, make them feel welcome. You know, because we do welcome everybody with open arms, unless, you know, they're a shitbag. And I, I wanted their opinions and, and all that. So... Mm -hmm. We had, yeah, we had gotten a few suggestions. One of them was actually Halloween Pranks Gone Bad. And I, I yeah, I was originally going to go with that, but we're going to put that in next week's episode because we have a lot of people who have requested that we talk about cryptids. And I am going to go ahead and shout out Uh, Sarah Candler and Tyrone Williams, both from Facebook, and Christina Wright from Instagram for the suggestion of cryptids. But we're going, we're going to Texas, baby. We're going, we're going overseas to Texas. (laughs) Texas. (laughs) Yeah, overseas. We're going to, we're going to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to talk about them Texas cryptids. God bless your soul. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless your heart, honey. Bless, bless, bless your
0: fart. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to say to people. Is bless your heart.
1: I like to tell them bless their fart. By the way, we don't really talk like this. We don't really ride horses everywhere. We don't wear cowboy no. hats everywhere. We we don't we don't say bless your heart every five minutes. We don't. We don't do that. <laughs> not all of not all of us are racist shit bags, okay? So No, we're
0: really not.
1: Please don't a... judge Texas as a whole. Yeah, but, no, no, no. Don't judge us for what, you know, certain people do. But things are happening.
0: Yeah. But So speaking of cryptids, mm-hmm. have you heard of a Wampus cat? No, I have not. So Crazy story. Okay, it began as this tribal legend in Tennessee. Tennessee. That this Tennessee. Tennessee. Like, <laughs> I always gonna say it with an accent. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyways, so, uh, this woman apparently went and spied on the hunters while wearing
1: the cougar skin. Oh shit! And she got punished. What was she, was she punished because she was dating younger than her? <laughs> Like such a bad dad joke. But I love you. But no, I'm serious. I I feel like you're talking about me. Are you calling me a Are womp you a ass cat? Are you calling me a, a swamp ass cat? Yes, a swamp ass cat. A swamp ass. Do you know, I mean, because my husband's six years younger than me, so I guess I guess you're calling oh, me a a, a coob. Um, Am I the? I'm the swamp ass. Maybe
0: but well, apparently it, it finally made its way to texas and uh, here i am here i am no i'm kidding i <laughs> know uh, oh no i forgot to tell you guys so by she got punished for spying on the people mm-hmm. but she got turned into a half woman half cougar by the tribe leader sounds about right and then it somehow made its little way to texas i don't know why it would but and cryptid hunters report that the Wampus Cat is a giant bobcat with an uncanny ability to swim and to
1: disappear and reappear at will. Okay, so aside from the swim part, that actually sounds like me <laughs> giant, disappear, reappear at will, cougar also i do have three wampus cats and you wampus actually sounds like a scary venereal disease so i am not the wampus woman so i read i read first I, re- yeah, I take everything back i'm not a wampus swampus wampus swampus, wampus swampus. It, it, it does sound kind of venereally sketchy. yeah did you say it sounds itchy or sketchy sketchy <laughs> But it all oddly makes so much sense. It sounds a little itchy. Either one. Either one fits, I mean it's okay. You can hear what yeah. you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> well, my best.
0: Oh, and another cryptid we
1: should all know about is Bigfoot. I uh I feel like you're talking about me again, Amanda. What the fuck? <laughs> I I have big feet. So you know, we can scratch that off the list because, you know, the Texas Bigfoot is me. Oh, okay. Well, we can just skip that one then. Actually, no. Please elaborate on my atrocious ass feet because one time it actually snowed outside, okay? And if you know anything about Texas, you know that snow is basically, like, coming across like, I don't know, an old porn mag. It's not something that you really want (laughs) to see, but... But it's, it's interesting nonetheless and very rare. Um, so anyways, so it snowed and there was like snow all over the place outside in the backyard and I go out there and I'm looking everywhere and I see all these like big feet imprints. Right. And (laughs) I realized that was me looking around the backyard for Bigfoot. But then I noticed that there was this like shadow and I look at the shadow very closely and it stops, and I stop, and I see it, and it's this big, hairy motherfucker, right? So I'm like, holy fuck, it's, it's Bigfoot. It's Texas Bigfoot. And then I see in the reflection in, in one of the windows that that big, hairy, shadowy motherfucker, again, is me. So I and <laughs> the Texas Bigfoot. Well, my feet are little, so you can be Bigfoot. I'll be Littlefoot. So, I will never admit this. Like, I'll never admit this on a recording, any public platform. I'm just never going to admit this. <laughs> but I fully envy people with little feet. I like my little feet. Rub it in. Rub it in, dude. You know it's not little? People who have big feet and they're, they're weenies, they're schnitzels, they're kielbasas. Did you say kielbasa? Kielbasa? Delbassos? Whatever the fuck it is. What's a schnitzel? Is that a dog? Is that like a type of dog? No, you're thinking of a schnauzer. Oh, a schnitzel was... is a
0: very thin slice of meat with some yummy breading on it. You want me to cook it for you?
1: I, I'm not interested in eating dog. Thanks. <laughs> what's so? What's not so little? A hogzilla. Oh man, seriously. <sighs> I think you're talking about me again. No, I'm kidding. I could have really ran with that, though. But, you know, we'll just say that Hogzilla is also me, but let's let's just go for it. Go for it. Oh my gosh. Well,
0: according to the cryptids, there are these Texas hogs that are like
1: 2,000 to 3,000 pounds. Holy pig fat man. Dad, dad joke. That bademptus. <laughs> Actually, really, really real talk. I am sure we have all seen a Hogzilla. (laughs) They're so big.
0: So I've seen some pretty big ones here. Yeah. But I did look
1: it up and the biggest one on Texas history was around 800 pounds. Did you know that? Well, first of all, I thought they were between 200 to 3 or 2000 to 3000 pounds. But 800 pounds is still pretty big. Well, whatever. Hush. Oh, you know, well, still, eight hundred pounds is damn near a thousand pounds. That's a big ass motherfucker. Right. Um, so I actually used to live next door to one. I swear, That's gross. that that thing <laughs> that thing was after me. It actually bit me. The lady who owned the fucking thing was all, it was a love bite. Oh. I'm just sitting there gushing bleeding profusely out of my big toe at all of nine years old and it scared me so I ended up running home like ah, looking like I had a running hose stuck to my foot like I was bleeding everywhere so you know I could have died I could have died actually I probably did die so yes I have seen them and I will never understand why that lady domesticated it and yes that's actually a true story because my sister can confirm this And you know, she—the lady had two asshole children named Mandy and Marissa. And yes, I'm calling them out. (laughs) We only went over there to play on insane. Yeah, (laughs) we only went over there to play on their trampoline. Though I I just hated their fucking pig. Ugh. (sighs) So did did it go to the market? Fucking asshole pig. No, something happened, and the lady said that it was my fault for antagonizing it. (laughs) I. Didn't antagonize this thing. I just simply walked by the fucking pig. It's it's never the animal's fault, though. It's always the nine year old kid. So. Well, I meant your toe.
0: But tell us how you really feel.
1: I'm actually. I'm still numb in parts of that toe, but I, I see what you're saying. You know, did. This little
0: piggy went to the market. This little pig home. Huh? You That's get
1: it? Cr- I can't believe in all of the. 30-something years that this happened. I never thought of that. So, I'm serious. I cannot believe that. <laughs> that pig definitely went to market. Um, no, but he didn't bite it off. He just, I guess, he wanted me to quit using his master's trampoline. Because that's all we went over there for. So he warned me, and maybe he was also fucking hungry. I don't know. Oh Well... That's a few cryptids we can discuss. We will definitely discuss
0: more cryptids moving forward. Okay, well, that's that.
1: Are you going to tell us who we're talking about today? After the music, man. It's going to get groovy in a far out kind of way. So don't be a bummer and tell us what the episode is called, man. I was giving you a big-ass hint about what the subject is. I was
0: reading it. I don't know how to say that word. I know ominous.
1: (laughs) Ominous. Go ahead. Introduce the episode this week, Courtney. (laughs) Welcome. Hold on. No, 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 no. I'm going to do this. Man, don't be a bummer. Welcome to an ominous obliging dude. For mandatory overtime, dealing with my mental health. Kid is absolutely four years old, and all that shit. So, no. What
0: I mean, what are we discussing tonight?
1: Oh, oh, oh! Sorry, sorry. Tony (laughs) Costa. Finally, man, I have been waiting for this. This one has. This one probably. Like I was just telling you off air. This really should be a two-parter, but. Instead, I'm just going to let everyone know that this one has been researched for months and it's definitely just going to be a really long fucking episode, but it's going to be so good and I'm excited to finally look this dick bag in the face and basically get this shit out of the fucking way, man. Uh. Yeah, I know. You've been wanting to do this case since the beginning of this podcast. Since before this podcast, actually. Like, before I even knew how to, like, podcast, I was just thinking, man, I really want to go report this case to somebody. Um, But yeah, before the podcast was even a thought, the thing is, I can't really explain it. And even to this point, I still can't explain it. Um, What it is about this case that fascinates the shit out of me. So, I mean, I would say it's like, what, October 11th, 2021, at the time of recording, I've known about this fuckface since, like, November of last year. So I really heavily researching him back in June and we have been doing this podcast since July. And the funny thing is Amanda and I have a timeline of cases and paranormal occurrences that we, that we cover. And I've actually been putting this one off and so much that I've had no choice, but to just keep researching it. So not the Spanish dancer, Tony, with an I, Costa. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope close but no no i'm kidding not close at all um i'm talking about tony chop chop costa which also he's known in the media after international coverage due to the district attorney edmund dennis dennis i don't know how to say his last name but we'll just go with dennis um he pretty much turned this into a big media power dump wait power dump yeah you know when you eat like a ton of fiber and the next day you have to wake up like 20 minutes early to just take a power dump.
0: Thank you for that information.
1: You're welcome. Known as Tony Chop Chop Costa, for whatever reason, the Cape Cod Casanova, and also the Cape Cod Vampire, even though he never actually drank any blood, he was evidently a ladies man. So, didn't drink any blood? He didn't. He, he did. Uh, he did other things. But not that. He he will do anything for love, but he won't he won't do that.
0: <laughs> nice meatloaf reference. Thanks. So is he like a big meatloaf fan? Did he go after women who made a good meatloaf and then murdered them because he had his meatloaf and no use for the
1: woman afterwards? You know, it's likely. You know, it's really likely because I'm sure meatloaf was a popular musician back in the '60s or '70s, but. But unknown, unknown.
0: No, he wasn't. Actually, Wikipedia says the years active were 1968 to the present. So maybe. Okay. Yeah. He was known for his theatrical live shows and his powerful, wide-ranging voice.
1: Oh. He also had a native site, like we are. Oh, so he's from Dallas. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually talking about the food. Oh, well, that too. That too. I, I never really liked meatloaf, the food. Something about bread and meat and ketchup mixed together before you digest it doesn't really sit right with me. Same girl. But, so does that cause why you call them Power Dump? Among other things. What was your favorite music growing up? You know, I'd love to segue in a Tony, Tony tone because, you know, we are talking about a Tony. But I'd feel like a liar because I was never, I guess, old enough to get into that group. So let me somehow make this about boys to men. Uh, it kind of fits. He went from boy to man, right? At this point, I think it all just fits. But in this case, and actually a lot of the cases we cover, they really just go from boy to shitbag.
0: It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. I don't know where this road
1: is going to lead.
0: All I know is where we've been and what we have been through.
1: And if we get to see tomorrow, I hope it's worth the wait. But Tony Costa sure did say goodbye to yesterday. Golf clap. Golf clap. clap. Well executed. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) But Tony wasn't executed, though. Well, maybe, but not not by anybody else. So, um, Chop Chop was able to get him a lot of ladies. They found him intelligent, handsome, handy, and probably mysterious. That's enough to intrigue a lot of ladies to the point where they are all just bursting at the seams to get a piece of that Tony pie. But, at what cost? Uh, oh, I've been waiting so long to say that. First of all, you just said it what Pasta. I
0: sure did. And we will go back to that. But you do realize you said piece of Tony Pie. I did. Insinuating that you're referencing a meat pie. Like a chicken pot pie. But at
1: first you were talking about meatloaf. Okay, alright, fine. They wanted a piece of that Tony loaf. They wanted a full loaf of Tony's meat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. That was great. So, starting off from the top, this is going to piss a few people off, but I have a very, very solid reason for saying what I'm about to say, I promise. So, hang tight. I personally find Tony Costa to be an attractive man, unless he grins, which I find him very much not attractive at all, because... He's got this, like, big-ass, bulbous nose and teeth, and it's just weird. And he also murdered and raped women, and that knocks quite a few marks off of the old attractive tally, so... He looks like his breath stinks. He does kind of radiate a bit of that halitosis vibe, doesn't he? Yeah. In that same breath. (laughs) (laughs) One right after another today. I've dated or been involved with a few very attractive men men, and also women back when I was curious who were also complete scum, like bottom of the barrel scum, like old trash can punch scum. Here's the thing. A lot of people find Ted Bundy attractive and I personally disagree, but it's important that we recognize that there is an attractiveness to some of these kinds of people. Why? Because if you can get past the attraction part and get that out of the way... You can recognize that serial killers, rapists, mass murderers, pedophiles, people who love Nickelback, they all look just like you and me. Normal. You also have to realize how insanely scary that is because we don't know if Jason Momoa or Channing Tatum, oh man, they are so fucking good looking, ever murdered anyone. Yeah, this is not a podcast about those those two hot pieces of... It's very likely they haven't, but... Just think about it. Ted Bundy almost got away with it because women found him just delicious. And I'm never using delicious in a sentence again. That was just weird. Also, no disrespect to those who like Nickelback for whatever reason. Just look at this photograph. Look at this photograph. And others. We will have all the photos on
0: the Instagram with the show notes, of course.
1: Oh, Amanda, that was that was awesome.
0: You oh, totally, I I you segued
1: right for. into that one. Thank you. <laughs> <sighs> Amanda and I are like totally bonded. Like we are now totally bonded at the hip. Okay, Here so who, who is, who is Tony Tone? So he was born August 2nd, 1944 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Ma- Mash- What's that? What is that guy's name? He just kind of decided to just I, just... I invoked him, and he came through. What's his name? Sean Connery. Oh. I invoked him, and he came through. its it, I mean, the veil is getting thin after... Well, he, Sean Connery's alive still, isn't he? Yes. Oh, I, man. I, I think so. I just totally... I could not get past 15 minutes without offending somebody. Sean Connery does not have anything to do with this episode, but Massachusetts does. And so Tony Costa was born August 2nd of 1944 in Cambridge, Massachusetts to Cecilia Bonaviri and Anton Vanesca Costa. His father died in World War II when Tony was just an infant. I think he was maybe six or seven months old. I don't remember. I do remember seeing that somewhere. His dad passed away in a heroic effort of saving okay. a shipmate from drowning. He ended up banging his head on a coral reef and drowned himself after, I guess, suffering a concussion underwater. It is sad, but, you know, because his dad died before young Tony had the capacity to even remember him. So. Yeah. well, wow, so his dad was a hero. That's awesome. It is awesome. I just, I wish he was still alive because maybe Tony would have come out a little bit different. Yeah. So when Tony was seven he started claiming that his father was coming to visit him in his room at night it wasn't confirmed that it was his father though like he just kept saying that it was just some man visiting him at night until much later when Tony had ad- identified him in photos as the man who visited him there were no other mentions of these nighttime visits after that it's also said that Tony was a spoiled little fucking brat he was never punished or to- told no but the- that he was also a very smart kid At the age of 13, his stepfather owned a masonry business, and Tony was in charge of bookkeeping and business correspondences. Correspondence side of that. Um, In high school, he started showing sociopathic signs in his mid to late teens. So small animals started going missing around the neighborhood. At 16, Uh yeah, always a sign. At 16, he broke into the apartment where a female classmate had lived. And it's unclear if it's actually a classmate. I'm just using that term as age reference. But she was a teenager. Okay. This girl was... um, This was a girl that he had tied up, or play tied up, two years prior. They were just playing, you know, fooling around. You know, boys will be boys! (laughs) The first time, he broke into her apartment. He'd stand over her bed and stare at her until she woke up screaming. So he'd run off because she spooked him. A few days later... He did the same thing and at the same place with the same classmate, only this time, he attempted to drag her down to the apartment's basement. This attempt was failed and thwarted because some neighbors who were privy to this had come in and intervened. Thank God. Yeah. I believe they were already privy to this because the girl did complain about this the first time, and so people were already on high alert because this just doesn't happen in my neighborhood, you know? Yeah. Um... But they were already high, on high alert for some weirdo coming into apartments and, and staring his sleeping would-be victim down. So then, January 4th, 1962, he was convicted of burglary and assault for this case and received a suspended one-year sentence at three years of probation. He was sent to live with some family members in Provincetown, Mass- Massachusetts, where he finished up high school and lived happily ever after. And that's it. That's the story of Tony Costa. Just kidding. There's there's, there's a lot, of mo- a lot more. Damn it.
0: I mean, good. There's more because I'm too excited for what you're going to dish out on Tony Meatloaf Costa. But damn it, you threw me.
1: Tony Meatloaf Costa. I love it. I just, and I'm going to dish out <laughs> some meatloaf, girl. <laughs> And you know, I originally didn't have plans to start calling him Tony Meatloaf Costa, but you know, let's let's go with it. Great idea, Amanda. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, okay, so as a youth, you know, Provincetown was also known as P-town. So going forward, we mean Provincetown when we say P-town. We don't mean urinary town or anything like that. And P-town was also described as a wash ashore. It was a small historical fish, fishing community and also an arts district. So think like Deep Ellum, you know, um, but at the Bay, like Deep mm-hmm. Ellum meets uh, Galveston, right? Yeah. For those of you who don't know what Deep Ellum is, Google it. Deep Ellum is in downtown Dallas and used to be fucking amazing. I mean, tattoo yep. shops, live shows, lots of art. Um, piercing shops, record stores with rare CDs. That's where I got all my like rare Nine Inch Nails memorabilia. Um, tapes and everything a goth kid or headbanger could want in a town. Um, I mean, that's how I imagine P-Town to be, but for hippies. But I could also be wrong because I've never been. its It's been said that P-Town was, quote, post-Vietnam freak culture during the 60s and 70s. And there was a lot of pot, LSD and speed going around. It was always a party. Fishermen and hippies would pass each other by and respect each other's spaces and do their own thing. And Tony was considered very handsome, but also weird, like something was off. He had a thick mustache, sideburns, and he considered himself an intellectual. He always had to be right. God, this sounds like somebody I know. Big same. Mm. People like this are disgusting. Anyway, get ready. (laughs) So Tony Tony Tone had a hobby and around the time he had this hobby, cats were going missing. So he often drove around at night collecting roadkill and bringing it home to perform taxidermy. So I'm imagining this really attractive hippie man at this point, he comes home from whatever job he's working. He takes a hot bubble bath to wash off the day and in an effort to go to another personality, he puts on this tie-dyed moo <laughs> He's smoking a joint in his lazy boy chair, drinking a nice glass of Chardonnay. His eyes are glazed over staring at something on the wall, probably like a paint splatter that looks like Elvis, you know, surrounded by a bunch of stuffed cats with one on his lap and he's all, this is Bessie. She's far out. I don't want to be a bummer, but she's dead, man. Dead. She's not dead to me, though, so don't be a buzzkill. She loves cheese, man. Cheese. And when you scratch her butt, it's pretty groovy. That poor taxidermy cat's probably like, put me back on the shelf, you fuck ass. <sighs> Have you
0: seen that one
1: poorly taxidermied cat on social media? Yes, and believe me, I've been thinking about that cat since I started researching this. (laughs) That fucking, that cat. Every time I see that cat, I laugh my ass off because I'm like, that is so bad. Like, I would probably scream and cry if I woke up and that thing were like staring me down. But at the same time, it's hilarious. So. Mm Mm-hmm. At the age of 18, in April of 1963, Tone Tone married a 14-year-old girl by the name of Avis, whom was described as submissive and not a car rental company, and they had three children together. I'm going to toss a quick moral compass your way and say, on one end, it's only four years difference, but on another, it's still a full-grown-ass adult of eight uh, at the age of 18 and a straight up minor. So there's that deduce from that, what you will. But in my opinion, a 14 year old isn't quite, how should I put this an adult? No, pretty sure that that's a fucking minor. But anyway, so they had three children. The first two were boys, which Tony didn't shy from expressing disappointment in that fact. But then they had a third child, a girl whom they named Nicole, And Tony was just overjoyed by that and called Nicole his pride and joy. Around this time, he was a handyman and a carpenter and also hung around with teenagers. He saw himself, note, he saw himself as their big brother and also as their Jesus. It was as though he was trying but failing to start a cult. What is it about these fuckbags? They're always trying to start a cult. You know, we have Suzu, Of course, there's Charles Manson. Like, what the fuck? I know. The problem is, the the problem with that, though, is that um, he was, you know, not near as charismatic and convincing or even smart as he thought he was, which is found out in several stories that he claimed to have this really high IQ, but it did turn out to be just an average IQ. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, he's not as smart as, again, sounds like somebody I know. Um, <laughs> so while he's ended up being considered one of the more prolific serial killers, He also didn't have quite the murder count under his belt. And, fuck, I realize how insensitive that might sound, but I'm just explaining the facts, y'all. He began using drugs and and engaging in some bizarre sexual behaviors and also seriously strange sex acts with his 14-year-old bride. (sighs) Quick thing, again, this is not to say BDSM is a bad thing. Kinks are fine. The thing about this is evidently their sex life had changed drastically which is already its own red flag most of the time without this being a murder case i mean sometimes a change in the sex life is a good thing but when it happens out of the blue and without any communication involved it's not necessarily a good thing usually it just suggests lesser i don't know sins i guess like affairs yeah which would actually lead to murder sometimes but while this isn't exactly "snapped" or "women who kill," in this case, it's still quite a bit more nefarious than it seems. So, all right. So now we'll we'll talk about his garden. You ready Ooh, to talk about his, his little garden? Secret, his secret garden. Ooh. So. We're not talking Better Homes and Gardens magazines, though. Like, not those kind of gardens. What about no?
0: Brian Laundry's parents' garden.
1: <gasps> it's really funny because, like, in my notes, I kind of do a little tiny bit of a mention but it's not it's not even like that no around this time (laughs) he also had a garden that everyone knew had pot he often took girls over to this garden which was located down a dirt road behind a cemetery in truro called pine grove cemetery cemetery whoa pine grove cemetery to impress and woo them he'd be like Hey, kid chick, look at all this weed, man, groovy. Wait, kid chicks? Yes, <laughs> kid chicks. I'm not going to go too much into detail about that, but basically he had this little posse of chicks that were underage that he just kind of, that they kind of fawned out all over him. So he called them his kid chicks. Oh, Ew. Yeah.
0: Some kind, was that some kind of fetish back then? Was what
1: halitosis? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and you know that. it's it's never really been officially confirmed if the dude had the tosis. I mean, I know we briefly discussed it a little earlier, but it never got brought up in the jury or by a trial or anything. But that's important. Honestly, yeah, it's 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 not that important. <laughs> He was only 22 when his marriage started to crumble, um, soon because of his drug use. But I'm also going to point out that they were both very young and marriage doesn't typically work. Um, it was around June of 66 that he told his wife, Avis, that he's going to bounce to Kelly and that on the way he was going to drop two hippie chicks he met off to Pennsylvania. So these two women were Diane Fedoroff and Bonnie Williams. Nobody had heard from either of these ladies ever again. Oh. Yeah. Tony one day decides that it's a pleasant day to go hiking in the Truro Woods with a girlfriend. So yeah, he's got another girlfriend. This was August of 67. He was 23. I suppose he was trying to take her to this little garden to woo her. So in an act of romance... He decided to play Cupid and literally shot her with an actual arrow just to express his undying love. Oh. She thankfully survived that incident, and Tony claimed it was an accident. On a real note, I've searched everywhere for who this woman is, but I could not find anything. But I am super glad that she made it out of this alive. She survived all of this. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you ever find out her name? No, not at all, but... There are a few people in this case that remain nameless. Well, yeah, I get that. Anyway, break time? Yes. So, guys, we will be right back. Hey, Courtney.
0: What's up? You tend to deal with
1: more of the production side of this podcast. Uh What kind of tools do you use? Well, I actually use a few things, but my favorite one I use is a really cool program called Anchor. Really? Yeah, it's by far the easiest way to create a podcast. They provide creation tools that allow you to record. You can also edit your podcast right from your computer or cell phone. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So how do you push your podcast to different platforms? Dude, Anchor does it all for you. They distribute your podcast to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. That's cool. Yeah. On top of us
0: wrangling our kids, working full-time, doing research, that does seem to cut down a lot of the time, huh?
1: Oh, yeah. How come we didn't know about this sooner? Honestly, I really don't know, but one of the best parts about this is you don't have to have a minimum number of listeners or plays to monetize off your podcast.
0: That's awesome. That helps us become one step closer to helping donate back to the victims and their families. Yeah,
1: that's important. But how much does it cost to use Anchor? Well, are you ready for this? Yeah, bring it on. It's free dude dude that's awesome go download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started how many cups of coffee have you had today a lot can you give me that in numbers a lot teen a lotty. 30 a lot i'm sure you pee bro at this point i'm getting a little concerned it's it's more of a like a beigeish like Taupe, yellow, it's the clarity, it's uh...
0: Have you you heard of vile beans?
1: Oh my god, yes, and I hound dog them like nobody's business. You would so love their
0: coffee. They have brand names after fictional characters like Jason Voorhees, and also animated villains and serial killers.
1: You mean to tell me that we roast serial killers, and technically, so do they? Like, do they roast their own serial killers? I mean, I mean, beans? Do they roast their own beans? (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it's like a match made in hell for true crime community. I'm eyeing the monster coffee. That one's an original roast, and that one's like right up my alley, you know, with the half and half, all that. I'm looking at the Cinnabundi. <laughs> Cinnabon. That one seems to be a
0: nice Cinnabon flavor without the sugar. I wonder if Ted Bundy smelled like that when they executed him by electrocution.
1: I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that dude smelled pretty bad when he
0: died. Eh, enough about that. We have a promo code. If our listeners go to vilebeans.com and use the promo code nefarious15, they get 15% off
1: every purchase. Dude, that's dope. I'm gonna go run, not walk, and, and order some of that coffee. But I'm also gonna give my cheesy sign off now for this ad go for it. <clears throat> By all means, vile beans. The all right, pull your hatchets out. All right, we Uh-oh. are back. Hulk Hulk. Too much
0: so, Tony shot someone with an arrow trying to play a romantic cupid role. That's where you left off.
1: Yep. So his marriage is completely falling apart at this point, And Avis is pretty much like seeing this more of a roommate and ro- roommate situation. Um, some of you guys have heard the recent episode from uh, something was wrong. Sorry, not the recent episode, the recent season. And um, if you know what I'm talking about, I'm going to compl- like, I'm going to loosely compare Tony to Artie and Danielle to Avis. And I say loosely because Danielle was actually proven to be very strong and not exactly submissive. And this isn't to disrespect Avis, you know, she was put in what I call a separate victim situation. And she likely didn't leave for a while anyway, because fear that, and they had three kids and had married young, still a lot to learn in life. And while unfortunate, I want everybody to know Avis is not the bad guy here. Okay. She just was kind of unfortunately brainwashed. Yeah. <clears throat> so anyway. Well. It's yeah. It's nineteen sixty eight at this point. Tony's around twenty four years old. So he's still he's real young. Pretty young. Yeah. So he bounces once again to San Francisco and moves in with a new girlfriend named Barbara Spaulding. By all accounts, Barbara had to leave to drop her child off with her parents. Tony left at that same time back to Massachusetts and Barbara was never seen again. Oh, so how many victims do we have already? A couple. Uh, we have three. three. Okay. In May of that same year in 1968, Tony is hired as a handyman at a doctor's office. From what I understood it to be the owner of the doctor's office's daughter who worked there as a receptionist. Um, so she and Tony would flirt back and forth. At one point, Tony was working on the paint on the trim of one of the windows when the doctor came to Tony and told him to stay away from his daughter. Not long afterward, $5,000 worth of medical supplies and drugs came up missing from the same office. Spoiler, Tone Tone stole it. Oh my goodness, like hamburger
0: from McDonald's?
1: Speaking Hamburger. Hamburglar.
0: Of Hamburglar. For- How do you say that? Hamburglar-er? Hamburglar.
1: Hamburglar. I have a hard time with that, too. But speaking of McDonald's, dude, their iced caramel macchiato is literally the best ever. I like, I like their,
0: uh, I love all their iced coffees at McDonald's.
1: Yeah, well, have you ever had their iced caramel macchiato? I think I actually have. Dude, I don't know what it is about the iced caramel macchiato but I just Ooh, discovered yes, I it yeah I just discovered it like a week ago and now like I've had like 15 of them oh yeah <laughs> they're like
0: I'm, I'm I'm currently having an obsession with uh scooters scooters
1: right now yeah I, I've never heard of scooters
0: oh they're like teeny tiny and they like pop up in certain areas they're scooters. like they all inside of them it's only like a drive-through little place but all they do is just coffee scooters
1: Come on, where them. you at? I'm in Fort Worth area.
0: Come on. No, no, you should have some. You should look it up.
1: I will. I've never heard of it, but now I will have look a it candy up. Candy bar, like frozen Espresso's.
0: Really? So you like a Twix or a Reese's, or they haven't even a zero bar because
1: my favorite candy bar is the zero bar. Oh, that waxy thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> typically, no. I mean, I am one of those people. I will not go for the fru-fru shit. I just like coffee with half and half, but. I was just kind of going through the line the other day and, you know, getting Anna an ice cream because, yeah, gotta yeah. get her an ice cream now that they have to have fixed working machines, you know? I don't know if anybody heard, but they have to have working machines now. Um, but I go through and I'm like, well, let me try this ice caramel macchiato. I'm kind of craving some uh, caramel. And I get it. And I'm like, oh my God, how is this coffee? And it wasn't even just the caramel, but I'm like, how is this coffee? <laughs> Better than anything else I've ever had before. <laughs> so I'm just like Yeah. But anyway, good. Yeah, they are fucking amazing. I I might have to get another one after we're done recording. Bet. It's uh nine thirty one at this point. I hope they're still open. Okay. After what's up McDonald's. Yeah, but they don't stay open late like Taco Bell does. Well they did. I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. So after the doctor's office burglary, 18-year-old Cindy Monzen, who was believed to be a girlfriend of Tony's, uh, she leaves her party and goes missing. Everyone assumed that she had just left, and it wasn't uncommon for what's known as, quote, the hippie movement, for people to just basically b- bounce around from place to place and disappear and then reappear. Um, it would be three weeks before her family did report her missing. Okay. And, I mean, yeah, it's sad, but, I mean, like I said, it's not uncommon for this to happen, you know? Yeah, I mean, you didn't have cell phones back then. Right. Well, it's not even just that. It's, like, they were, like, probably thinking, that damn hippie. But then, you know, it gets to be, well, one day turns into one week. One week turns into three. And they're, like, you know, maybe we should really think about reporting her missing. Um, Her sister even thought that she had went to Europe. So, like, I mean, that just kind of goes to tell you, like, what it was like. So, yeah. Oh, wow. And then it, it becomes August of 1968, and he and Avis finally do divorce. So they're officially like done. Dunsky. Good done. Avis. So, well, anyway. <laughs> I mean, like I said, she's not like, I'm not going to blame her for anything, but like, just remember, she's a little brainwashed, you know? Oh, okay. So Tony has a new girlfriend shortly after this named Susan Perry. Uh, they shack up together, and then she disappears. Tony then tells authorities that she went to Mexico. A few a few weeks later, he's arrested for driving without a license and then for failure to pay child support. Um, in the book, The Babysitter, which, you know, has been referenced and will be referenced in the show notes, yeah. it's said that Tony didn't give a single fuck about his kids, mm. though he liked to dote on them, specifically his daughter, in their absence, just to impress people. Of course. So, yeah, that's just what deadbeats do, you know? Yeah, exactly. So he's held in custody until November of that same year in 68. Okay? Okay. All right, Tony starts dating Christine Gallant, who he shares drugs with. So they, they constantly are partying and doing drugs, things like that. Um, so then she's found dead a few weeks later, and it said, face down in the bathtub. The death was ruled as an overdo- overdose and drowning, but it's believed that she was one of Tony's victims because she was face down instead of face up, and she had fallen asleep. Right? Okay, that's um, weird. So basically, the theory- its a theory, you know—because they- let's 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 dive into that for just a second, okay? I have fallen asleep taking a bath before, okay, but. It was always like I'm laying down relaxing in the bath, okay? Whether or not I would have been on drugs is irrelevant, okay? If I were laying down in the, in the bathtub and I fell asleep into such a deep sleep and, you know, drowned, okay, if I were backwards and i drowned, who, nobody, nobody, whether they are on drugs or not, is going to go face down in a bathtub and just fall asleep unless a they purposely wanted to die or B they were killed. Yeah. I mean, so. it's not like you're going to turn over. In right. a bathtub. Exactly. It's not like you're going to be like, Hey, you know what? I really need to relax and take this bath, bath facing down. <laughs> I'm going to dive into the bathtub. That's how I'm going to take a bath. Every time from now on. Please don't. That's just no face first. That's not. <laughs> but you know, it's a theory, but I firmly believe that he killed her because, you know, it's it's hard to believe Definitely someone's gonna he be, did. do what? Definitely he did. He did. He did. It's but. it's hard to believe someone's gonna be like, hey, I'm gonna bend over this bathtub and put my head underwater. And I mean, even if the person were on drugs. You know, I I'm imagining like my biggest like high You know, that I've ever had. And I'm still going to be like, hey, you know, water can be dangerous, man. You know, so. But, you know, it would be a lot more likely of an accidental drowning if, you know, she had fallen asleep taking the bath face up. Um, But I will die on this hill. Tony Costa killed her. Hmm. So January 24th of 1969. Uh, Patricia Walsh and Marianne Wasaki take a trip to Cape Cod in their Volkswagen Bug. They rent a room in a cottage in P-Town, which is the same place that Tony rents a room. So in the book, it's referenced that the landlord or you know, landlady of this place, uh, she was a bit unconventional and a little naive, but paranoid at the same time, which is fine. So she would basically like... Any tenant that they weren't making too, too much money. So any tenant that they got, they, she was like, yes, money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if a murderer were a silent taking time bomb, she was sitting on top of one, but it was silent. She had if silent, but deadly <laughs> uh, like a fart. She had absolutely no idea that she was going on, that this was going on. She just thought, hey, it's tenants. This is great. Need to make money. Just just don't fuck the place up and we're good. So she was sitting on a massive power So Tony helps the girls with their bags and all that. So, you know, he's very polite and gentlemanly. Uh, they become fast friends and hang out together for a few nights, partaking on that. Mary Jane. Mm hmm. They disappear. And Tony moved out the day that they disappeared. So that is very suspicious. It's very suspicious. Yeah. So, a body was found to be cut up into eight pieces in mid-February of 1969. So, this is only a couple of weeks after all of this. Um, Behind the old Truro Cemetery, the body was confirmed to be that of Susan Perry. March 4th. Yeah, this is, like, it's heartbreaking because so many women. Even just one, but still, you know. So, yeah. March 4th, possibly following up on all of this, the bodies of Patricia Walsh, Mary Ann and Sydney Monson were also found. They were found almost two miles from where Susan Perry was found. Wow. Oh, so he has a spot. Yeah, it's the garden, man. Mm. So. Now, I want to mention something real quick. A lot of people who do, like, true crime podcasts and things like that will kind of dote a bit on the victims and... Um, I kind of want to also not to, not to sit there and feel like I'm shallow or anything, but I really just kind of want to go in there real quick. And the pictures of the victims that I saw, because he's only been convicted of four, uh, but it's possible that he's murdered eight or even more. But I went and looked at them and they all had this sense of like, they were ready to live their life. They were just kind of going into like their, their young adulthood yeah, and yeah they, innocent. Right, and, and very unsuspecting. You know, they are also... Were younger, and they wanted to have their fun. And nobody is going to blame them for that. They were all absolutely beautiful. And the one thing I wanted to say is... when Whenever... When I say... I can't speak for anybody else, okay? But whenever I say that somebody is beautiful or handsome and they are a victim... I don't necessarily mean, like, in looks, okay? I don't want anybody to ever think that I'm being shallow when I say that. What I mean is they had a soul. A beautiful soul aura about them. Yes, you could see it radiating off of them. And what breaks my heart is the fact that somebody can just totally steal that from them. Mm hmm Uh, I mean, I, I want everybody to kind of really think about that and imagine if this was your sister, your brother, your mom, your aunt, your uncle, your best friend that had been a victim of these crimes. And think, yes, I would like for people to realize what kind of soul this person was. Even if we don't know too much about these victims, which unfortunately I was not able to find too much on them. Um, I even asked Amanda to help me with that part Because, you know, there's really not too much on them, which is unfortunate because a lot of times when these cases, you know, are talked about, people tend to focus a lot more on the shitbag that does these things. And I think it's very important that the victims are recognized and remembered. So, okay. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and remember the victims as best as we can, because like I said... We weren't able to get too, too much off of them, unfortunately. But, um, basically I have separated this into the supposed victims. Um, and then the confirmed victims, because I really want to remember all eight of them as well and uh, give some insight as to who they were and what they were like. But, um, like I said, unfortunately not a lot is available, uh, is available on the unconfirmed four. Um, I'm including them in anyway, though, because to be honest, I mean, I feel like all eight of these women died at the hands of this fucking shit bag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we'll start with um, the believed victims. Um, Diane Federoff and Bonnie Williams. Barbara Spaulding, which is the one that, you know, the de- detectives believed was a murder, but Tony was never charged due to lack of evidence. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Christine Gallant. And she was the one that the death was ruled as a drowning and overdose. And again, unfortunately, I was not able to find much on these four. And I have searched everywhere. Oh, so, I, I know. It's, I did.
0: Uh, and to me, it, it's heartbreaking that you can't find anything on the victims. It's oh, just no. glorify the murderers and we can't find even a birthday on a victim
1: right it's almost i don't i don't know what to say on that it just it bothers Mm -hmm. me so bad um even i mean they they were they were people that's i mean uh, Well, maybe they don't want people to know about them, and if that's the
0: case then well well maybe not but but i i don't know i i just i I don't need to know like
1: everything about them, but no, but, b- uh, remember them. It's, it's a good, I feel like it's important because these, 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 are victims. They're constantly called bodies. They're constantly called like the body parts. They're called, yeah. I don't know, just tossed somewhere. It's just like, no, they were humans at one point. They had their, they had their livelihoods and their lives stolen from them.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so, um, those four rest in peace. Um, yeah. Forever in heaven, um, and then the confirmed victims. Um, I'm going to start with Cindy Monzen. Sid, Cindy, not Sin, not Cindy. I'm sorry, guys. Sydney Monzen. She was born July 20th, 1949. She was nicknamed Snid. Uh, the reason why I think she was nicknamed Snid was because you know Sydney. I think maybe they had some kind of I don't know. It was a joke or something. Um, she died just two months shy of her 19th birthday. Aww. She, yeah, she graduated Nossett Regional High School in Orleans, Massachusetts. She was bright, intelligent, and inscribed on her grave is quote lived each second to the fullest. You can see in the pictures that she was very friendly and sweet, and she was very involved in both her school and social life. So, that's Sydney Monzen, Susan Perry. That was Tony's new girlfriend after he and Avis divorced. Um, She was the one that disappeared after, you know, she moved in with Tony. Um, And he told the the authorities that she bounced to Mexico. Uh, She was born October 15th of 1950, and she passed away September 10th of 1968, just one month shy of her 18th birthday. She is described on the source I'm citing in the show notes as a quote, sweet but troubled girl who made a difference and quote she was a lost and lonely girl who was murdered by a serial killer named tony costa there's a quote also that i'm having a real difficult time understanding um but it reads quote a maid for whom there were few to love and very few to praise I'm assuming that since her parents had divorced two years prior, that maybe she was kind of having a hard time with that and people were seeing her as sad, but also like, you know, somebody with a servant's heart, a people pleaser. I- I'm going to say, if I had to rewrite any of it, that she was a beautiful soul with the servant's heart and would do anything to make those around her feel warm and loved. Someone left a comment on her Find a Grave page that actually made me cry. It said, quote, Susan, I was listening to a song the other day from 1966 called Love is a Hurting Thing. I'll bet you loved that song. Throughout most of your life, you hurt. It must be wonderful to be in a place where you don't hurt anymore. I hope I get to meet you there someday. Uh, yeah. The next one, yeah. That one really got to me. Yeah. Um. The next one is Patricia Walsh. She was born in 1945 and she died February 1st of 1969. She was a school teacher. She was either 23 or 24 when she passed away. Her yearbook photo, the description reads a quote from Stanislaus, quote, good humor is the help of the soul. She actually gave off a vibe that she could be on Saturday Night Live at some point if she hadn't been murdered. If you read further on her yearbook photo, it says that her activities included bowling, swimming, skating, French club, and she was part of the Junior Alliance. Also had been known for a quote, me, blush, which further suggests that this woman had an amazing sense of humor. Oh, she sounds like it. Yeah. I want to be friends with her. Yeah. Well, in spirit. My heart. Yeah. These poor girls. Did you see her picture? Yeah, I did. Oh my god. I just I don't know. I felt like I could be in a kitchen baking like a banana nut bread with her.
0: Yeah. And
1: then and then she would be like spitting off some like kind of some raunchier raunchier jokes for her time and <laughs> kinda jolly, you know? Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. The last one is Marianne Wasaki. She was born nineteen forty-five. She died February 28th of 1969 at either 23 or 24. She was a college student. She also had a yearbook photo and that quote was from William Blake, formed of joy and mirth. Her activities included bowling, swimming, skating, cage ball and junior alliance, just like Patricia Walsh. But also that included junior Red Cross, messenger and budget collector. Her remembered for is quoted as saying, her lavender cookies so she was remembered for her lavender cookies Ooh, yum. yeah i was thinking that too because we were talking about lavender in another episode and i just love that i just love it <laughs> um looking at her pictures she seemed more of a quiet type and maybe a little bit submissive um but yeah um that's that's what i have on those four victims and these young ladies were very beautiful, and we do hope that they live on um, in everybody's memory. We do hope that their family members and the like um, have gotten some kind of peace and empathy and empathy. Why did I say empathy? Because I'm feeling empathic. But yes. what I mean. I know what you meant. Yeah. What I mean is I hope that they've gotten their peace and their closure and, you know, that they have felt that justice was served in all of this but i'm gonna continue on with this story because you know we're about to get to the good part where basically this fuckbag bag gets arrested Woo-hoo! <laughs> so i'm gonna start out talking about the da da means district attorney by the way so <laughs> i mean some people don't know that and that's fine <laughs> Sorry. I, I actually kind of even had to look that up i'm not like a I'm not like a, I'm not smart. I'm not like an autopsy text or anything. Oh, text. I just,
0: I'm a professional show watcher, so. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. So his name was Edmund Dennis, Denise, something like that. I don't remember how to say his last name. Um, And he was known for making some inflammatory statements. Um, I just want to put that out there off the top. You know, he did say that all of their hearts were cut out. And that there were teeth marks all over their bodies and evidence of necrophilia. Um, he said they also found a rope covered in red stains wrapped around a large tree at the burial site, along with pill bottles scattered close by. Mm. Um, he said that Patricia Walsh was cut in half by the waist. Marianne Wasaki had been decapitated, and her head was found in a plastic bag. And Sydney Monson was found buried under, underneath Patricia Walsh and Marianne Wasaki.
0: Oh my God.
1: Okay. So the Volkswagen bug that Patricia Walsh and Marianne Wasaki was driving was seen parked behind the cemetery along the dirt road. It was reported by a local man and I believe his son was with him. If I remember correctly, this was in that book that I read, okay. um, which by the way, Amanda, if you haven't read this book, go read this book. It is such a good book. It's called the babysitter. My summer with a serial killer and I'm going to reference it in the show notes um, it was partly written by the girl that was babysat by Tony Costa, okay. and she is still alive and well today. She was not a victim of his. Um, he actually treated her very well. Um, so I've seen the book. It look it did look good. It's a fantastic read. Okay. So and if you're like me and you can't see too well, it's a fantastic listen. It's on Audible. So oh, awesome. Um, but yeah, back to the Volkswagen bug. Um, that one was seen behind the cemetery on the dirt road, um, reported by a local man. Uh, Um, when the police went to investigate this though, the bug was gone. (sighs) Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. They did find a torn up Volkswagen user manual nearby and they were able to retrieve Tony's fingerprints from that. Ooh. Uh, Tony Costa also had a storage unit registered in his name in Burlington, Vermont, which, you know, obviously not in Massachusetts. Um, and the bug was later found parked there. He had previously inquired about having the bug painted. So, yeah. Um, I am probably absolutely wrong because the first bit of learning about all this was just listening to the book. Okay? Mm. But if I remember correctly, the bug started out blue and he was wanting to paint it some different color. Actually... And again, I could be wrong. I remember something like maybe he wanted it red, but he ended up not getting it painted red because red is a very obvious color. I could be wrong, though. Maybe I dreamed that. I don't know. Yeah, that would stand out. Yeah. Um, So Tony Costa, after this, was questioned and he provided what was known as a fishy bill of sale. Basically, a bill of sale is a fancy receipt or invoice. He said that the girl sold it to him and they went off to have an abortion in Canada Um, again, if I remember correctly, the girls were actually, like, not anywhere near, like, even being in a predicament where they would need an abortion. Like, these two girls were actually quite a bit more innocent. Mm. Like, they they didn't, like, engage in, like, all kinds of rebellious acts. They did smoke a little pot, but they didn't, you know, do so much. So, basically, Tony was basically lying about them and pinning everything on them. Um, But yeah, he was telling them that the girl sold it to him and that they went off to have an abortion in Canada. So that's already kind of suspect. Uh, It was right then and there that he was arrested. Once he was arrested, investigators did a little math. The bodies that were found were all underneath his garden, which was his personal pot patch. And he stashed other drugs in this area. They then searched his residence and found a large amount of rope which somehow had large red stains all over it. Huge dink. that there's just that this just so happened to be rope like this tied around a large tree near the cemetery where all the, all of this took place. Um, mm. It also later found Waisaki and Walsh's belongings in his closet where he had told the landlady he was just holding them for them. It's found that Tony's stories would often change and I mean why wouldn't it? That's pretty typical in these cases yeah um, you know that we have and also will cover that the stories change he would implicate a couple of his friends who were indeed innocent also his mother who continued to that very day that she died to dote on her son and in the book she would frequently reference him as my Tony or my Antone so she presents a letter to the police that is addressed to Tony that came from New York. It was evidently from Walsh and Wasaki. Uh, this was delivered around mid-March, about six weeks after their disappearance. Oh wow! So it's it's kind of insinuated that um, his mom like had known that she was that he was kind of like a a complete fucking asshat, you know. But but it was also her Tony, so she was just kind of covering for him, you know. So. Hmm. Let's go back to Mr. Yeah. Denise, or Dennis, or however the hell you say his name. Denis. Dennis. You know, Edmund, the district attorney. He would say things such as, you know, the hearts of the, each girl had been removed from the bodies and were not in the graves. Each body was cut into as many parts as there were joints. Also, quote, there's evidence of cannibalism, and quote, that the heads were removed, although wasaki's head was found in a plastic bag she had indeed been decapitated the statements here were still found as inflammatory as nobody else's head was missing and that the cannibalism wasn't even yet confirmed also the whole hearts ripped out thing that was found to be completely off base and untrue even though some organs were were, were reportedly missing basically the da was trying to piss everyone off um, I can personally empathize a little bit with the DA in this moment because at that point, the law is in their hands. Tony isn't cooperating. His mom, Shirley, isn't helping things. And, you know, there are missing women they want answers for. So I, I do get it. But with all of this, it still resulted in a massive media frenzy. And we all know that this can complicate compl- uh, complicate things. Oh, my goodness, Courtney. <laughs> But we do know that this can complicate things. Look at what's going on currently, for example, for certain people that will remain unnamed because I think we've mentioned him to death and I do hope that they fucking find him. But anyway, Uh so the chief of Truro police is quoted as saying, quote, the press is bad, but the tourists are worse. So this was because tourists would show up in the off season. They'd bring their families. They'd set up shop to have like a picnic. And then they'd bring their shovels and shit, set up shop and get ready to help. You know, they'd they'd try to find some evidence and even, you know, more bodies or these so-called joints, you know. So, I mean, I totally get that this can be irritating, but for those of you who say that the true crime community has gone downhill, honey, I hate to tell you this. But this has been happening forever now. Also, I totally understand that they want that. I understand the want to help, right? Yeah. But sometimes there are more appropriate ways to help. But we're not going to get into all that here. Back to the facts. Okay. It was confirmed that Tony did have intercourse with the confirmed victims after they died. Uh, The way that their bodies were found cut up and disjointed was described as methodical Like the way a taxidermist, remember I mentioned taxidermy earlier. Yeah. Like the way a taxidermist would do to prepare for an animal being stuffed. One source said that from a psychological viewpoint, this was his way of 100% owning his victims. That what better way to own someone than to disjoint their body into several pieces? It was also described that when Tony was taken to the burial scene that he looked as though he was admiring his work, like he was proud. So basically, he has this punchable, halitosis, meatloaf, motherfucking, look at me, bitch, with my glasses that probably aren't even prescription. Oh, and don't tell anyone about this mustache, but it's glued on. I'm your prehistoric Chad. If Sperry's and White Claw existed, I'd be wearing that bitch and drinking that bitch. Fucking bitch bag. Shit bag is too good for him. He is a bitch bag. Big pussy Costa. Fuck him. Ugh. Ew. Big fucking ew. The Psyche Val. Are you ready for this shit? Ooh, yes. (laughs) We all love a good Psyche Val. Yes, yes, honey. Oh, just wait till I get to the end of this. Um, March 31st, 1969, Tony Costa has his first psych eval at Bridgewater State Hospital. It's noticed, it is noted that he was polite, but he did not cooperate. He was diagnosed there with schizoid personality. It's important to note that schizoid personality is not to be confused with schizophrenia schizotypal personality disorder, schizoaffective disorder, or antisocial personality disorder. Now, according to Wikipedia, schizoid personality disorder is a personality disorder characterized by a lack of interest in social relationships, a tendency toward a solitary or sheltered lifestyle, secretiveness, emotional coldness, detachment, and apathy, Affected individuals may be unable to form intimate attachments to others and simultaneously possess a rich and elaborate, but exclusively internal fantasy world. Other associated features include stilted speech, a lack of deriving enjoyment from most activities, feeling as though one is an observer rather than a participant in life, and inability, basically like a God complex. Um... An inability to tolerate emotional expectations of others, apparent indifference when praised or criticized, a degree of asexuality, and idiosyncratic moral or political beliefs. Symptoms typically start in late childhood or adolescence. A more layman's version of this, per the Mayo Clinic, schizoid- personality disorder is an uncommon condition in which people avoid social activities and consistently shy away from interaction with others. They also have a limited range of emotional expression. So, that kind of gives you an idea of what schiz- schizoid personality disorder is. Tony had a second psych eval and he was determined to be a, quote, <clears throat> sexually dangerous man capable of murder and was also declared a modern-day Marquis de Sade, who was an 18th-century French writer known for erotica that depicted sexual fantasies that took strong emphasis on sexual violence and suffering and blasphemy against Christianity. He became well-known for making those fantasies real with both consensual and non-consenting people. So basically this... Marquis de Sade was big into like violent sex and, and rape basically. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we're getting to the confession and the trial. So Tony Costa confessed to the murder of Mary Ann Wasaki. In fact he made many false confessions and failed a bunch of polycrafts but made one official confession which I just stated above. Okay. Uh, Prior to the trial, Kurt Vonnegut, who was a well-known American author, talked about how his daughter, Edith, had partied quite a bit in P-Town at the age of 19. He recalls that it's incredibly lucky that she had declined any of Tony Costa's advances, some of which were invites to his garden, because she could have easily been another victim. Kurt, oh, wow. Kurt, yeah. Kurt also recalled that, per Edith, if, if Tony really was the murderer, that anyone could be the murderer. Which drives my point home that a murderer or offender can slide under the radar looking like you or me. Also, kind of brings my whole point of like the whole attractiveness issue. Yeah. But, you know. Uh, Vonnegut was pretty much, he believed in a way that Tony was framed. Like, he basically half heartedly expressed this belief that, you know, he would do such a thing. He yeah. said that chopping up four girls as an act of revenge seemed quite a bit far fetched. Now, one year prior to all this, Tony had given the names of some dope dealers and they were arrested. I'm assuming from this report that he was trying to pin some murders on them, because that's what I also remember from the book. Okay? Okay. I want you to remember Kurt Vonnegut, though. Okay. Just remember him. It's a very small thing that you have to remember. Just remember him. Got it. Okay, the trial. May 6th, 1970 is when the trial began. Edmund Dennis, let's just go with Dennis, the inflammatory DA we mentioned earlier made no attempt to provide or prove a motive. Um, Who knows why anyone would do such a thing, he said. So, I'm kind of laughing because it's like, he just, uh, he just, oh my God, he's such a monster. And all of a sudden he's like, I don't know why anybody would do that. So. (laughs) uh, Oh. Oh, yeah. Back and forth, back and forth. During the trial, a polite and kind of weird but otherwise unassuming Tony Costa became cold and arrogant, always having this know-it-all attitude and would focus only on his own note-taking and insistent on making his own statements. He would make long and drawn-out dissertations on the many horrible things drugs can do. So it's like, he's saying like, that gun will do the killing, not the person holding the gun. He sounds a lot like Bundy to me, right? The egotistical. It's it's amazing how they all sound like each other, right? Yeah, yeah the gun did it, not me. I I didn't. I I pulled the trigger, but the gun actually killed somebody. You know, wow. he's basically saying the same thing. The drugs did it. I had no involvement, but the drug did. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, as his statement was incredibly long, it was also noted to be articulate and rational. So, you'd think that this was good for Costa, but fortunately, this made it hard to prove insanity in the case that he would plead insanity. So, basically, he's smart, but he's no Einstein. So, uh, The defense lawyer blamed Costa's actions on drug use, which his ex-wife, Avis, Remember? Yep. He also testified on Costa's behalf. Um, The jury was required to tour the gravesite. So Tony's mother does pass away from a cerebral hemorrhage right before the conclusion of the trial. Mm -hmm. I'm no doctor and I'm not trying to pin blame on the mother. You know, I, I have kind of like, you know, made some remarks about how like she was kind of, she had to have known something. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine that either she was experiencing a form of natural causes because she was older or Mm -hmm. that she was under so much stress that she had to bottle up that she had ended up having a cerebral hemorrhage from the stress as a result. Yeah. And that stress would be linked to knowing a lot more than she puts on. But, you know, again, I'm no doctor. That's just what I'm theorizing. But either way, it's sad that she passed away, but it's also interesting how she passes away right before the conclusion of the trial. So, yeah. On May 29th, 1970, Tony Costa was convicted of the murders of Patricia Walsh, Marianne Wasaki, Susan Perry, and Sidney Monson. It is absolutely believed that he had murdered up to eight women, but only the four were proven. He was sentenced to life in prison in Walpole, Massachusetts. Good. Tony Costa started out living it up, and his cell by stocking up on books of Satanism. The Occult and Ritual Magic. He also wrote a memoir. Why is it that these people are always writing a memoir? (laughs) Have you noticed that? But who has the greatest titled one? Well, his was called
0: Resurrection. So... I think OJ Simpsons is pretty good.
1: Oh my god, Uh OJ. If I
0: did it, this is how I would do
1: it. (laughs) Fucking dumbass. <laughs> the, the juice. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he also wrote a memori- memoir titled Resurrection, basic, basically explaining his side of things. Um, I personally have not read this mem- memoir, and I don't think it's actually available, but I'm not sure. But basically, Tony had this friend that he that he named Carl, quote unquote, who was the homie that nobody had heard of or even met. Okay. He was never mentioned prior to this memoir. But anyway, evidently Tony, sorry, Carl, dismembered Perry and Monson's bodies after they died of a drug overdose and buried them. And that Tony, Carl, sorry, Carl. Carl only made Tony aware after the fact. Tony then said that Carl shot Wysocki and Walsh while on Delauded and LSD. That's like oddly specific, that yeah, he, you know, Tony then is like this uh like hero because he came in like a wrecking ball, <gasps> subdued himself, sorry, Carl, he subdued Carl, and then in an act of heroic bravery, stabbed Wasaki to put her out of her misery because she wasn't dead yet. oh, well, thanks, dude, yeah, thanks, mm. really appreciate that. Then Tony buried the bodies together. Yes, wow. you heard that right. Tony, not Tony and Carl. Tony. Tony. <laughs> buried the bodies together. I mean, Tony and Carl, who is actually just Tony. Okay? <laughs> Don't forget Carl. <laughs> no, it's it's all Tony. Tony, there's no Carl. Is, is my whole point. Tony invented Carl in prison. Oh my gosh. Okay, we all have our imaginary friends. It's okay, yeah, I know Anna has bunny, but you know if if Anna were to say that bunny had... I'm not gonna do it, no, I can't, I can't, I can't, not my baby, not, not my little baby. <laughs> you can't even say it. <laughs> no. Are we ready to hear about Tony's death?
0: I've never been more ready for to hear about something. Okay, cool. Okay,
1: I mean, I could, t- I could talk about how Bunny is akin to Carl, whereas, but I don't want to. No, we'll just talk about Tony's death. So <laughs> Tony, Tony was found dead at eight p.m. on May twelfth, nineteen seventy four, hanging via a leather belt. He was twenty nine years old, and it said that he fucking peed all over himself. So bye, Tone Tone. <laughs> Actually. Actually, no 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 no. I am going to directly quote this word for word from my murderpedia source because it's metal as fuck. Are okay. you ready? I'm ready. Quote On Sunday, may twelfth, nineteen seventy-four, a walpole corrections officer making a routine tear check at eight ten PM discovered Anton Costa Hanging by the neck from a woven leather belt knotted around the upper bars of his cell. Costa's eyes bulged open. His darkly darkly mottled face was frozen into a grotesque mask. Mm -hmm. Blood foamed against his gaping lips from his having bitten his tongue nearly in half. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One unlaced sneaker had been kicked off during his death struggles, revealing a mended white sock. Costa had urinated down the front of his unpressed prison trousers. Medical examiner Harold L. Sch- uh, Schenker certified that Anton Charles Costa had died of asphyxiation by hanging suicide. Costa was 29 years old. So young, man. So metal. Wow. <laughs> He was buried in an unmarked grave next to his mom in P-Town. It's said that Tony never actually confessed to the murders unless you follow the belief that, quote, suicide is a confession, which is a belief held by someone named Daniel Webster. Um, that the closest he ever came to a confession was the stupid fucking autobiography that Tony Costa wrote. To this day, Tony Costa's garden is known as a tourist trap, and is believed that satanic rituals take place there. Wow. Wow. Tony Meatloaf Costa. (laughs) Wow. He will do anything for love. But apparently he won't do that. So, Amanda, I have an ending quote. (gasps) Do it. Okay. Remember Vonnegut? Yeah. Okay. Vonnegut recalled a Sick joke told told him by a local architect. So my quote is this sick joke. Tony Costa walked into a Cadillac agency in Hyannis and priced in an El Dorado. It'll cost you an arm and a leg, said the salesman. And Tony said, it's a deal. Oh, oh, I have an ending quote. Okay. What's your ending quote?
0: Okay. I have it. All right. You know, mine's got to be more peaceful than yours.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. We've got this gift of love, but love is like a precious plant. You can't just accept it and leave it in the cupboard or think it's going to get on by itself. You've got to keep on watering it. You've got to keep really looking
1: after it and nurturing it. It's by John Lennon. Do you realize how the fuck, how fucking morbid that actually was? Yeah. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs>
0: Amanda. Well, no, it, it 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 like weaves. It has so many different
1: meanings. I saw. Yeah, her. it talks about pot and watching your garden because you yeah, don't want everybody to like, find it, the bodies. I thought it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, one more quote from a young lady on TikTok. Uh, she's actually unaware I'm doing this. Um, she has nothing to do with the story, but her quote is very relevant to this case. Her name on TikTok is grandma underscore droniak. So I'm going to insert that clip here. Don't date any men and you will have no problems and you will be happier a person. There's that that clip.
0: All right. Hey, thank you all so much for listening to us. Following us, just being here. We love y'all, appreciate y'all more than you will ever know. Mm-hmm. So for those of you just tuning in, please subscribe to our podcast anywhere you can get podcasts. And make sure you leave us a review
1: on iTunes or even on Good Pods. Also, you can find us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. All of those things are in the link tree that we put in our show notes. Ooh, speaking of link tree. What's up? Don't forget to go to
0: Jason Vukovich's link tree and send him stuff. Yep. Even just a letter. Show him support. We're quickly approaching his parole hearing and are constantly hoping he
1: gets out sooner. One more thing. Don't be a wampus cat. Or a swamp ass cat. Don't be a cryptid. But keep it
0: gifted. Don't be a dick. Keep it sick. Just kidding. We're deodorant. Yep. All right.
1: Bye, guys. Now you have to say it all whiny. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. I can't have a natural whiny. I can do it. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to A Nefarious Nightmare. Music used in this podcast was created by Ghost Stories Incorporated. You can find their music on bandcamp.com. We do have social media. You can follow us at our Facebook page at a nefarious nightmare, or you can follow our Instagram nefarious nightmare pod. If you have any stories of paranormal instances that have happened to you or ideas for true crime, please email us at a nefarious nightmare at gmail.com. Thank you very much and take care.